countdown to Christmas um, is officially on in the steel home, at least with my oldest son, Jones. Um, My wife and I have this rule where our kids can't come out of their room until 6.30. And you're like, 6.30? What? Yeah. I mean, we had to establish that because they were coming out in the fours and fives. And so, you know, 6.30. And, and so my son, he's one of those kids, no matter how late he goes to bed, he is going to wake up early. Any of you guys like that? Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, four of us. The rest of you guys have been blessed with good sleep. Good for you. But my son, every Every morning, 6.30 on the dot, he, he comes out of his door, and so Courtney and I, we start most mornings with him, and so he has reminded me um, every day for the past you know, many days, the countdown to Christmas, and so he's like, Dad, I can't wait until there's 10 days left for Christmas, and I'm like, why 10 days, and you know, there's no reason behind it, and Dad, I can't wait until there's, there's one day left, I can't wait for the, the day of Christmas, and, and he's just like getting himself worked up, right, because he knows how good Christmas Day is. And let's be honest, primarily he's just focused on the gifts, right? Like most eight-year-olds, you're like, not just eight-year-olds, that's how I feel. And that's okay, right? You're, but, but he's not so much in for Christmas for the conversation and the connection and the food. He's one thing on his mind. And, and, and the reality is that he's looking forward to Christmas because he knows it's going to be a good day for him. Like he, he can look forward to it because he, he knows it's going to be a good day. You know, the season of Advent is is something that the global church has been participating in back to the 5th and 6th century. The days leading up to Christmas Day, it's marked by celebrating the reality that Jesus has come one time, but the church has also been living in this in-between place, anticipating, longing for Jesus to come back again. In fact, the, the Christmas season, this Advent season for the church for, the, for the, a long time has been marked by, by fasting and repentance as, as Christians look at their lives and go, you know what, I'm actually not living a life that brings glory to God. And so Advent is this call to, man, get your life back in sync with the ways of God. It's not just this sentimental feeling that Christ is going to return. It's just been this reorienting, this turning of the heart going, man, no, Christ Jesus is going to return. And I want that to be a great and glorious day for me. And so I need to align my life under his will and in line with his heart and walking in line with him. And so this season of Advent is not just this sentimental holiday of, of anticipating gifts. It's this, it's this turning of our hearts where we long for Jesus to come back, to make the world new. I've been praying and, and thinking about, I love this time of year. I just do. I love the Christmas trees. I wish they were taller. I wish we had 30-foot trees in here, Clark Griswold style. There's something about this season that I love that I've been praying about and thinking about what it looks like for us as a church family to really soak up all that God has for us in this season. There's this verse that has come to my mind. Um, it's, a, it's a verse that's actually above the mantle in our home. Um, it's a verse that, that I love personally, a verse that the Spirit brings up so often in my life when I'm just going about my day. It's this verse that, that I think gives real direction and real clarity and real insight into what it looks like for us to be people who celebrate the first coming of Jesus, but, but more than that, who, who align our lives longing for Jesus to come again. And it's the verse that buried in the middle of Romans chapter 12, where Paul writes this, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 
And I think the Lord has put this verse on my heart to go, Brandon, what does it look like for, for me to, to fully take in these, these words, these, this, this vision for me? What does it look like for us to, to take in these as we wait for Christ to return? And so each week, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of hone in on a piece of that verse. And today, we're going to be talking about be joyful in hope. Hope is powerful. When you believe something good is coming, or when you believe that something good is at least possible, when you have hope, it it motivates you to keep going, even when circumstances are incredibly difficult, painful. Man, think about the way that, that hope motivates us just in our real lives. Man, maybe you receive a diagnosis, but you have hope because you know there's treatment and you know there's going to be a long road and there's going to be lots of medicine and there's going to be lots of pain and uncomfortable nights, but, but you have hope because you can picture life on the other side of the sickness. Hope is what allows you to keep enduring the hard stuff. And hoping for a spouse. And you're not where you thought you would be. You thought you'd be married by now. But you haven't given up hope. You're still picturing, envisioning a, a life with, with a spouse. And, and hope allows you to keep putting yourself out there, keep allowing your, your heart to be broken. Hope is powerful. Some of you, you, you experience seasonal depression this time of year, man. It's, it's unbelievably hard. The holidays have this, this ability to bring out the, the, the best of things and the hardest of things, right? The memories of, of no longer having people with us and the first time without somebody, and they just they, they tend to accentuate the best of the things and the hardest of things. And, and I go, man, and some of you are sitting in this place of you, you feel down right now, but, but you know on the other side there's hope. And I love this verse in Romans 12. Be joyful in hope because Paul calls us as Christ followers to be people of hope. And did you notice it's an all-encompassing hope? It's not a qualified hope. It's it's for us to be people who have hope in this life. But ultimately, that that we are people that, that have hope for the life to come. That our hope isn't even rooted in things of this world. I love that Paul gives us direction for what it looks like. He describes what it looks like for us to be hopeful. He doesn't just say hopeful. He says, be joyful. Be joyful in hope. How many of us, man, would, would describe ourselves as joyful this morning? Or the past year, do you go, man, I've, I've actually been marked by joy this year. You see, joy is, is what the Holy Spirit, it's not something you manufacture. Joy is, is, is a gift that the Holy Spirit, it's a product of the Holy Spirit living in your life. When you surrender your life to Jesus, it tells us that we were given the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 says that part of the things that, that the Spirit does in us and through us is that he bears this fruit called joy. Joy is not a pretend happiness. Joy is not a fake smile. Joy doesn't come from overlooking the hard things in life. Joy is not just choosing to see things from a glass half full perspective. Joy is not a facade. In fact, joy is not even sourced. It can't be sourced. 
if we want it to be sustained from our circumstances, from our things, from our jobs. Those things are constantly fluctuating. No, our, our joy comes from a deeper, a more consistent source. It comes from Jesus. It comes from, from contemplating what he's already done for us. And it comes from anticipating what he will do. Think about what Christ has done for us. Man, when, when Christ came the first time, Christ demonstrated what God the Father is like. He, he revealed to us through his life that we have written in the scriptures how the Father reacts to situations, how the Father feels about certain things, that when Christ came, the glorious, invisible God became visible. And when he came the first time, we see God. We know what God is like. We don't have to guess. When Christ came the first time, he forgave us of our sins. When Christ came the first time, he gave us the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit came into our lives, each of us have been given spiritual gifts, gifts of encouragement, gifts of faith, gifts of words of knowledge, gifts of wisdom, gifts of prophecy, gifts of healing, gifts of serving, gifts of giving, that when the Holy Spirit came, you and I were given the ability to contribute to the body of Christ, to the building up of other people. When Christ came, all of these things came with him. And when we contemplate what, what happened the first time Christ came, when we really think about it, part of our joy comes from that. So in this moment, in the, the seats that we're sitting in, there's, there's a place for us to, to be rooted in deep joy because of what Christ has already done, what Christ has already given. But ultimately, man, the other part of our joy comes from what we haven't yet received. And that's where I want to spend our time this morning. Our joy comes from what we have received, but a big portion of our joy comes from what we haven't yet been given. I love Matthew chapter 5. Earlier this week, I think the Lord was putting this passage of scripture on my heart, and I'm like, man, I actually, this is kind of unexpected. I like to teach just the, the birth story of Jesus. I love just kind of hovering around Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. There's something so beautiful about every year just looking at his first coming. But this year, I felt like the Lord was leading me in a different direction. It led me to, to Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. First 11, 12 verses of, of Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. And, and where this is in context, Jesus has been born. He lived 30 years of his life kind of in obscurity. Gives his life. He, 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 get, he gets baptized, filled with the Spirit, goes into the wilderness for 40 days. He's tempted by the enemy. He comes out of that. He's traveling around. He's preaching. He is healing. In Matthew chapter 5, it says that, that the, the crowds were gaining favor. Jesus was gaining favor with the crowds. It says the crowds were coming to him. And this is what Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 says. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Matthew 5, verse 3. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is this honestly 
what they expected him to lead with? I mean, you go back in Matthew 4, and it says that, that um, verse 24, news about him spread all over. People brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them all. I mean, there's momentum, there's, there's power clearly coming from Jesus, and, and he has the, 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 the crowd's attention. They, they travel out to the place that he is sitting, and the, the thing that he starts off his sermon with, blessed are the poor in spirit. You're blessed when you're down, when life hasn't turned out the way that you wanted or hoped. When your spirit is low, you're blessed. Jesus, are you delusional? Jesus, are you, are you so disconnected from the real life? Like, you're living in heaven. Do you even have any idea what you're talking? How in the world do you know what I'm going through? How in the world can you say, that? do you know how hard my life has been? How can you say blessed or the poor in spirit? You know, Jesus actually wasn't disconnected from real life. He spent the first 30 years of his life around real people. He didn't grow up in a palace like a king, being waited on hand and foot. No, he was born in a barn. And not like a Nashville wedding barn. Like those would be pretty awesome to be born into, like a real barn. He was born to poor parents. I mean, you grew up poor. Life is harder when you're poor. It just is. He grew up as a, as a refugee. At some point in his upbringing, his, his earthly father, Joseph, died. No, this is not a man who is, who is far off and disconnected. This is a man who is familiar with suffering, who could have chosen any path to come into the world, and yet he chose the lowly among real people with real problems and real pain. So what in the world is Jesus saying here? Jesus is not saying the best way to live your life is depressed and down. That's not what he's saying, okay? Blessed with the poor in spirit. Everyone try to go and be depressed. That's not what he's saying. And he's also not saying this. He's not saying that just because you're poor in spirit, poor in spirit, poor in spirit, you get a free pass to heaven. That really circumvents faith, the cross. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying just because the, the condition that you find yourself in is that you're down. It doesn't mean you get a free pass to heaven. No, what Jesus is doing here as the crowd came to him is he's, is he's speaking a message of hope and he leads with this message. It doesn't come at the end. He doesn't leave those who are down in life waiting. No, he speaks directly to those whose life is hard and who find themselves in, in unwanted circumstances and situations. He says, blessed are you. This is a message of hope. If you find yourself in a place where you're lacking in spirit, where your heart is heavy, Life hasn't turned out the way that you'd hope. Jesus says, with me, and that's key, with me, you have something to look forward to. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn, 
Why? For they will be comforted. We mourn when our hearts ache. When the pain of this world gets in here. Again, this is a a message of of hope to the down and out. What Jesus is saying is that those who are mourning now, you turn to me. You seek refuge in me and I will comfort you. I love 21, Revelation 21 and 22. It says, and we even sang this line, or Hannah read this line. It says, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. Last year, Dave, he spoke about this. And, and I love this line. It stuck with me so deeply. It says that, that Jesus himself will wipe the tears from our eyes. It's not something he outsources to the angels. It's something he will do himself. And this message of Jesus to the down and out is intended to stir up anticipation, faith, that when you really believe relief and comfort are coming, it enables you to endure. Some of you this morning, you come here and you're mourning someone, someone that you love, someone that you lost, someone who was in the Lord. And this morning, your heart just hurts. This season, this year, the two years, your heart just hurts. You miss them. And the reality is that part of the way that you'll experience comfort is you'll see them again. Resurrection is one of the greatest gifts of following Jesus. Seeing the people who've gone before us, people that your hearts miss and you long for, part of the way that you receive comfort, you'll see them again. Blessed are the meek, verse five, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus' teaching shifts here. He starts the sermon by speaking into circumstances that are really beyond our control. How many of us can control the mourning, the hurt that comes our way, the poor in spirit? We can't control those things. Now, we get to choose how we respond. No, but Jesus changes here. He starts speaking into to the the choices that we get to make. He he lays out this beautiful path. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. You choose meekness. What is meekness? Man, it's the, the, the word. It means humility. It means gentle. Meekness is the opposite of proud and arrogant. He says, blessed are the meek. How many of you would describe yourself? How many of you, your your spouse would describe you as meek? Or your best friend who actually knows you? We can fool ourselves. Man, ask someone who loves you in humility, hey, am I a meek person? And then prepare for how they answer. Don't be defensive. Jesus says, blessed are the humble, the lowly, those who don't elevate themselves, who aren't arrogant, who aren't haughty. God has a way of, of humbling us in this life. I remember my sophomore year of, of high school, played football. And my sophomore year, I got to, um, I was starting quarterback. I got to start as a sophomore, which is crazy. And I did not handle that really well. 
so just full of myself, so arrogant. I remember my mom. She's a prophet. She's not in the Bible, but she's definitely a prophet. She says, Brandon, pride comes before a fall. And I'm like, don't you put that on me. Like, she says, no, you need to understand. Like, if you choose to keep being proud, this is in Proverbs, Proverbs 16. Pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Several weeks later, fifth game of the season, we're in the middle of a game and I tear my ACL. Go through surgery, rehab. My mom never brought it up again. <laughs> she, didn't, she wasn't like, I told you so. Like, she didn't have to. I'm not saying that like, God allowed, like he made that happen. But I go, man, that, that season of my life, it, God used to break my arrogant spirit. And I'm not saying that God, God might allow you to go through your whole life and be arrogant. But there's going to be a really high, a high cost to that, a high price to pay if you choose to, to keep being arrogant and haughty. No, take the lowly path. Walk in humility. Think, think more of others. Lift others up. Call out life in others. Don't just be so fixed on you. He says, blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth, the, the earth, the kingdom of heaven coming down to this earth, earth functioning as it intended forever. Revelation 22 says that the tree of life will bear fruit every season. Who's ever heard of such a thing? That the life to come is marked by fruitfulness. Should you choose to, to live your life in humility and meekness, you'll inherit the earth. Keeps going, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That word righteousness, it's a word in Greek, dikaiosune, and it, it means righteousness, but it also means justice. Jesus says, blessed are those who long for things to be right in this world. who looking at the injustice and the sin and the rebellion going on all around our world and in our country and in our city, it feels like hunger pangs. It feels like thirst that you long for it to be right. You long for it to be made whole and just and beautiful. It's why so many of you got into counseling careers or nursing or a police officer or a social worker or a teacher or a lawyer because you care about there being rightness and fairness in this world. You care about helping kids learn how to read because you know it'll set them up. You care about the law operating the way that it should. You care about people be receiving fair treatment. You care. He says, you're blessed. You're going to be filled. Don't turn off that longing of your heart. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now listen to this. There's a promise here. If you're merciful, you will be given mercy. And I'm just telling you, if we really pan out, if we can think ahead, there's going to be a moment where each of us stand in front of Jesus, perfectly holy Jesus, who never did anything wrong, who never sinned, who knows our thoughts and who knows our sins. And I promise you in that moment, we're not going to be going, hey, Jesus, think about all the great things I did. We're going to be begging for his mercy. And Jesus says, if you want to receive mercy, give mercy. It's hard to do. You don't usually have to give mercy to people that you just love and think the world of. Maybe on the holidays you do, right? Blessed are the merciful. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Catharsis. 
Katharos, sorry. Katharos is a Greek word. It means pure. It means clean. Blessed are those who have a clean heart. A pure heart. I mean, none of us have that. All of our hearts are deluded with sin and with selfish ambition. And No, but what he's saying here is that when you, when you give your life to Christ, he gives you a heart transplant. Like genuinely, you're, you're born again. You're given a new life. This is a promise in scripture. You turn to Jesus and, and, he, and he literally changes you from the very center of who you are. It's literally what happens when you give your life to Jesus. He changes you. There's transformation. He says, blessed are you who understand that you need a new heart, who understand that you need Christ. He says, you'll see God. Verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. I had a friend one time say, this is, he doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Those who spend their lives working to bring about peace between others and God. Think about all your friends and family that are not at peace with God. He says, you'll be called a child of God because you spent your life helping people step into this peace-filled relationship with God. You're a peacemaker. That's who you are. It's your destiny. He says, blessed are the, the peacemakers, those who, peacemakers, those who work towards bringing about peace in our city, in our world. You'll be called children of God. Verse 10 through 12, we're almost done. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Let's be honest. Has that happened? Do you experience that? Being insulted, being persecuted, people saying things because of, of Jesus, because of your love and commitment to Jesus. Verse 12, this is how he says, respond. Rejoice. Rejoice when I'm persecuted. When people say all kinds of evil things about you, be glad. What? He doesn't say retaliate. He doesn't say harbor bitterness. No, rejoice and be glad. Why? And here's the key. Verse 12. Because great is your reward in heaven. This teaching of Jesus, choosing to, to live this way, Jesus says, a rich reward is coming. You know, my son and all my kids, they anticipate Christmas each year because of what Christmas has been like in the past. If Christmas was a downer every year, like no gifts, no surprises, I'm just telling you, they don't look forward to Christmas. But he looks forward to Christmas because of what he's received in the past. And when we consider what we've received in the past from Christ, if we really consider what, what he brought to us the first time, when we see his heart, when we see his love, when we see his commitment to the family, what he was willing to do for the Father, what he was willing to do for us, when we really look at Christ, If we think about the, the down payment that we received initially when he first came, how much better will the full inheritance be? To have access in the flesh to Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. To live on this earth with no pain and suffering, no Satan, no more death, no more disease, no more struggling financially, no more struggling with food, no more struggling to make ends meet. 
and we wait. And we take these words from the Beatitudes to heart. And if Jesus made these promises, if this is what we can expect, he will deliver. He will deliver. So what do we do in the waiting? What does it look like for us this morning in the waiting? Receiving, being thankful for the gifts of of forgiveness and the spirit and the God's family. I mean, how great is it to be a part of God's family? Gosh, it's amazing. You're just so awesome. You have so much to bring. You have so much to offer the family. We are his family. We are his people. We get to be together forever. What a gift that he set us in family. What do we do in the waiting? Some of you this morning, Man, as, as you wait for Jesus, some of you, your, your joy is run dry. Question asked at the beginning, man, if, are you a joyful person? You go, no, not. I'm really not. This morning I was praying and just trying to ask God, God, would you help me this morning? And I felt like the Lord was just saying, hey, there's a reason the joy the Spirit is not coming out of you. There's something weighing on you. Guys, and, and some of you are in an incredibly hard place right now. And, it's, and I'm not telling you that you need to just forget the hard stuff that's going on and put a smile on your face. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that some of you have lost your joy. Something's weighing on you. This morning, we're going to take communion. And I want to encourage you, if, if you come this morning and you go, man, I've lost my joy, will you please just let us pray for you? There'll be some men and women at the respond banner. There's nothing more that we would love than just to ask God to, to remove or to help carry the, the weight that is weighing on you and for God to restore your joy. And so some of you this morning, you're joyless. And my inv invitation to you is that would you just ask God for a restoration of your joy, a refilling of your joy? Some of you this morning, you, you're not currently poor in spirit. You're not mourning. And that's a good thing. but maybe you're around some people who are. Maybe it's someone in your family, one of your dear friends this morning as we take communion. I want to encourage you to, to pray for those who are poor in spirit, those who are mourning. Ask the Lord, is there anything I can do? Like literally ask him, ask him this week. And don't just ask him, then go about your business. Ask him and then wait for a response. Listen for what he will tell you. I guess this, it'll be a really tangible thing that God will invite you to do. And if not, keep waiting. Send him a text. Send him a Grubhub gift card. Pray for those who are mourning, who are poor in spirit. Some of you this morning, something from the Sermon on the Mount stung in your heart. You're like, oh, that one hurt. I've not been merciful. And I've not been meek. Repent. Share it. Confess it. Bring it into the life. The people around you know it. <laughs> hey, I've not been meek. Yeah, I know. Like, they're not going to say it because they're kind, but they know it. <laughs> hey, I've not been merciful. Man, it's so beautiful when, when people just acknowledge their sin. 
Because then you, then, you then you can walk a different path. Share it. Pray for each other. If someone shares something like that with you, hey, I haven't been merciful, do not. Do not go. You're right. You haven't been. Be merciful. You want to receive mercy, right? Be merciful. Pray for each other. This morning as we take communion, man, let's, let's really lean into Jesus this morning. He's here with us. So we break the bread, as we drink the cup. Man, listen to what he's stirring in you. If you need to prayer, come respond banner, gather people around you. I want to invite, I want to invite you to stand up. I'm going to pray for us. And then after I pray, we'll go take communion. And so, Lord, this morning I was driving in and the wind was blowing so hard. Just leaves and trash and things are just going all over the place. And Lord, trees were bending and stoplights were shaking that there was just power in the wind. And Lord, I pray that right now, would you, would you stir up, would you blow through a spirit of joy? Jesus said, as, as we sit in this place of hope, that our church would be filled with people that are truly joyful. God, that our joy would, would bear witness to your goodness, to our hope in you, to our love for you, that our joy would, would be shared with people around us, that we would invite others to receive the joy through you, Jesus. It's not because we're so good, it's because you're so good. And so, Lord, I pray for a fresh just feeling of joy right now. A lifting of the, the burdens and the heaviness and the hardness and a feeling of, of hope of the, the good things that are coming. And so blow through us right now, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's go and take communion. If you want prayer, receive prayer. With the rest of you, go grab communion. Come back to your seats. Share with the people around you what was stirring in your heart this morning. I love you.